Alright guys, welcome to another episode of MC Anime. I'm MC Anime, and today we have another special guest with us today. Cheryl I Love, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. So, uh, tell a little bit about yourself, where they can find you, and uh, what you do. Okay, I do a lot of things. And again, my name is Cheryl Ilove. You can find me, uh, my website is just simply CherylIlove.com. You can also find me on social media, on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, as well as LinkedIn. And I am an author, a speaker. I'm also a physical therapist and a martial artist. So basically... I think the most compelling part of my story is that I began my martial arts training at the tender young age of 47. So martial arts was never on my radar. It was never anything that I wanted to do. Um, I didn't go looking for the art. Mm -hmm. Basically, the art came looking for me. So I study, um, but I still train to this day. Um, I study a martial art called Nimpo Taijutsu, which is based on the art of the ninja and the samurai. It's an ancient uh, Japanese martial art that is, uh, it's a little bit obscure. It's not real mainstream, so a lot of people haven't heard of it. Yeah, and uh, my uh, experience with that actual martial art is uh, typically the animation in the Japanese culture. I have a oh. little bit of uh, awareness about it. And I know some of the basics, but I don't know, like, a full-on detail. Mm -hmm. So, like, what's the main differences of traditional martial arts with motion tempo? You know, I think that there's probably some similarities, like they mm -hmm. always, you know, are have some things in common with martial arts. But I think what makes ours different is that we really go deep into the culture as well as the history of the art um, and the traditions, the philosophy. And we focus a lot on training our spirit as well as training our bodies and our mindset and our, you know, mental capacity and our mental toughness. So it's, it's, there's something about the art. It just encompasses all of that uh, in a package that makes it so, uh, once you get started with the art, you just want to keep on going. Because believe me, I didn't even want to get started. <laughs> it kind of fell in my lap. Okay, so if you say it fell in your lap, how does that how that occur? Uh, well, I, um, it started when I met a man. I was 44 years old, and I went to this guy who was an acupuncturist. So it was my first visit uh, with this guy. He came highly recommended, and he had an acupuncture clinic. He also did something called shiatsu, which is a Japanese type of massage. And right next to his clinic was his dojo. Oh, so I didn't okay. even, I wasn't even aware of that when I walked in for my first appointment, but you know, he seemed like a nice enough fellow. He was about six years older than me. And the very first time he put needles in my legs, he got a faraway look on his face. And he said, you know, with your legs and my coaching, I could teach you how to kill with these things. Okay. Interesting. Well, so... I wasn't interested. I was horrified. <laughs> okay. Well, I, for anyone I that doesn't, that, 
Well, I couldn't believe yeah. that anybody would actually think like that, have that mindset, let alone say it out uh, loud to a perfect stranger. So here's what the thing I think is going through his head. When he tried <laughs> to do the acupuncture on your legs, he sees form, but he also sees the structure and how genetics is playing a role into like a warrior or fighter. So your legs are... Uh, Okay, so basically, anyone says anything like this, your arms and your legs are, and any weapon you have, in addition to your legs and arms, or in addition to your body. So, with your arms already being a weapon, you can actually hone those in and actually hone your skill to your particular fighting style. Absolutely. And, you know, we don't even talk about fighting style because we like to say that we don't fight mm -hmm. uh, ninjas are our lovers yeah. where you know have a compassionate heart and spirit mm -hmm. and all that stuff but just don't cross the line and one of the other things why well, I, I am a dancer so i mm -hmm. segued I kept going back to him for acupuncture even though I thought a couple of times about maybe not going anymore because all he would ever talk about during my sessions was Nimpo Taijutsu the mm -hmm. art of the ninja and how much he loved it and he would go on and on and on about one point that everything's a weapon yeah and that's when I really thought maybe the guy was crazy because I thought, what do you mean everything's a weapon? But like you said, he saw that, you know, our, our body is a weapon and can be used as one. But he would explain to me that even, you know, routine household um, items can be used as a weapon. For oh, example, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know that. You know, oh, yeah. A broom handle, a toilet. Exactly. Plunger, a, yeah. Just by the so deal. Okay, so here's an interesting perspective. By the definition of the law, anything has the capacity to be a weapon. So the traditional weapons that we see are not necessarily weapons. It's, the, it's how they're used. The people wielding them determines if it's a weapon or not. Just because, you, just because you're a construction worker and you work with a sledgehammer does not mean that is necessarily a weapon. And yes, a sword and daggers and guns are typically used as weapons. Well, they're actually classified as weapons, actually, because mm -hmm. the deadly uh, force that easily can be done with ease without sledgehammer has to have a lot of strength, and it's unconventional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well... But like you said, yeah, every, anything can be a weapon. Yeah. I even um, talked about one time after I got into my training and got really deep into it, and I started to see, oh my gosh, yeah, everything can be used as a weapon. But, yep. you know, even a smile can be a weapon. Even a look can be a weapon. But um, one of my favorite stories mm -hmm. was how I was at the yarn shop. You know, I'm a knitter. And I was looking for some new yarns, new projects to, to work with. And the women there knew that I was studying martial arts. And they said, one of them said, I don't need martial arts. I don't need any self-defense. All I need to do is just take a knitting needle and shove it in the guy's ear. And I explained to her that there's a couple of things wrong with that idea. <laughs> Number one, knitting. how are you going to know that? 
you're going to have a knitting yeah. needle in your hand when you need it. Number yeah. two, how are you going to get it in a person's ear when they're yeah. trying to attack you? Are you going to ask them to hold still? Yeah. So I started to explain what much better targets would be, how to hold the knitting needle, where to attack, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, if you want and, an easy target, you know, you have the neck, if it's sharp yeah. enough, the stomach, uh, yeah. shins, if you have to do that, stuff like that. You want to immobilize the target first before actually going for the actual kill. Right, exactly. But it was so funny because um, apparently everybody in the yarn shop just stopped and was listening to this little tirade. And finally, one of the women said, you've obviously given this a lot of thought. And I said, no, I really haven't. But she just mentioned it and it started to get me thinking. So it does change your way of thinking. Yeah. In every situation. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess not every time do you have a knitting needle, but it is an unconventional item that has the potential of especially metal. Yep. Well, even an ink pen, you know, you can oh, yeah. walk on an stuff. airplane with a high-quality ink pen and you're just fine. But for heaven's sake, you can't bring a bottle of water because that might be used as a weapon. But imagine what you could do with that ink pen. But all you know that, but that's okay. And even when I was flying a lot, it was about ten mm. years ago. I was flying a lot to go back home. My parents were both sick at the same time, and I was traveling with my knitting all the time. Oh. Okay. And a lot of the other passengers would be surprised and say they let you on the plane with the knitting needles. And I said, I didn't make the rules. I just follow them. Well, yeah, because it's it's unconventional. Mm-hmm. Like mm -hmm. okay. Well, water, water is not necessarily a weapon. Water is like a tool that can aid you to distract the opponent or disorient them. So, the only way that water is like a weapon in a way is like high pressured or something like that. Like directly. Or frozen. Yeah, or frozen. Definitely frozen water. That, that packs a punch. certainly does. I've never tried it, but it certainly does. Also, don't, you know, don't be, just because if you have a sock and some change, mm -hmm. then you got a good weight and a good flexible uh, tool that actually can make a really great, uh, what's it called? Uh, what's the type of weapons? Swing weapon? Yeah. It's the one with the chains and the weight yeah. on the end of it. I kunai. can't even remember. Maybe a kunai or something like that. Everybody disappears from the dojo when we play with that weapon because it's very, very painful. Um, but it's so funny that you should bring that story up because uh, I have a friend who's about my age, a little bit older mm -hmm. than me, and he was a small kid and he was bullied a lot growing yeah. up. And he also, he had a paper route. And this was back in the day that everybody would pay, you know, the paper boy with money, real yeah. money. And he always had a lot of change in the bag because, you know, they'd tell him to keep the change or whatever. And he was walking on the way, doing his route, and one of the bullies approached him. And he was, you know, threatening to take his money. And he said something snapped in him, his, his like that red, you know, bull, you know, mm. reaction. And he just grabbed, he realized he was holding this bag of change. And he grabbed the bag and started swinging it and had it over his head and was ready to 
get this guy and smack him right across the the temple with the bag of change. And there was another young boy there that stopped him. And he grabbed, he says, you don't want to do it this way. Yeah. He says, you're really going to hurt him and you're going to get into a lot of trouble. But uh, it was just at that moment he realized he had an incredibly powerful weapon to protect himself with. Well, how about this? The person that stopped him, self-control, that is one thing you need to do with any uh, uh, fighting stances or any discipline that makes you defend yourself. You defend yourself first, not attack people because you can. Right, exactly. And that, again, is part of our philosophy is that, you know, we're peace-loving people. You know, we we don't want to fight. Uh, We don't like conflict. Our approach is to you know, avoid it and remove ourselves from Mm -hmm. a situation that could escalate. But if the person is continuing to come toward us and continuing to threaten us, you know, we don't, we never throw the first strike. And what are some like preventive stances or moves that you have been taught for us to do if you're not like immediate danger? Well, we're always taught to stand, you know, with our knees soft, Mm -hmm. so we're not in a locked position, so we are able to move at a moment's notice. And the very first thing that they teach us as a brand new student is how to avoid an attack, how to get out of the way, because you can't get hurt if you're not in the way. So when you see a situation that looks like it might be unsafe or precarious or might escalate, Mm -hmm. immediately just, you know, Use your intuition, use your ability to move and just get out of the way and go to a a safe place. If you're at a position where you can't really move out of the way and, you know, move physically to another another spot, uh, we're taught how to just like turn our bodies in certain ways. So if a person tries to land a punch, Mm -hmm. they miss us. But with all of the force of the punch, that person's momentum is still Mm -hmm. going forward. And they beat themselves up with that type of, you know, they, well, they're yeah. attacking themselves, basically. Yeah, because with l- typically when you go for a punch, you put all your momentum in it. And you mm-hmm. can also, if they continue trying to punch you, one way it is to step back. Step back mm-hmm. and just enough to dodge it. And the moment they push themselves forward and then they either fall or they lose balance because... Maybe they put way too much. The same thing with any weapon, too. If any sword or anything, if it's like a bard sword or something, you can actually use that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And we actually do a lot of sword evasion in our art. Mm-hmm. So we do practice a lot of different sword cuts of oh, okay. the swordman coming after you and slicing in a variety of different ways. So we practice how to get away from that how to evade and then Mm -hmm. roll away to create distance um so that when we first learned this i thought it was so stupid because like i said i fell into martial arts i did not go willingly (laughs) and i was i was just in it to take a few classes and then you know learn a few self-defense techniques and then move on with my life because this was not something i was very interested in at all but i did want to learn a few self-defense techniques so when they start taking out the bamboo sword and start swinging at at us i thought this is so juvenile and silly you know why am i doing this and why am i here but you know of course i had to do it if i was going to be in class 
And it's interesting because it does have very practical implications if somebody's coming at you slicing with a knife or a baseball bat or some other type of a stick or some other type of weapon. You could always go into one of those evasion techniques. True. And have you have to use the invasion techniques at all? Or you don't have the opportunity, like, in a real situation? You know, I get that question a lot. And I like to say that, yes, I have used it, but not in the way that people might think. So I've never had to pull out my bag of tricks or my Mm -hmm. technique or have to stop people or, you know, counterattack or anything like that. Um, But... I've done it in a way that's a lot more subtle, like if to, to get myself out of certain situations, certain relationships. I just use the skills that I learned through NIMPO to be able to, it's almost like, you know, verbal judo. Mm, okay. Or, you know, a, a form of taking control of the situation and turning it to my advantage. So those are some of the skills that I never expected to learn. Um, but no, I have never had to physically actually do it mm-hmm. um although that's still up in the air True. there is somebody that's you know there's somebody oh, on yeah. my radar several years ago that did something that if he ever does it again it's gonna it's not gonna be pretty for him <laughs> okay so what Just did so you, you know what did you feel like to be like the i think the first women to have a black belt in that dojo you know and that was the funniest that's probably the funniest and most amazing part of my story is that uh, when I went into the dojo, like I said, I didn't go willingly. I was kind of dragged, mm-hmm. kicking and screaming. Um, along the way, it took my sensei, my acupuncturist, three years to convince me to even take a class. After three years of him badgering me, I finally said, okay, I will take a few classes just to prove to you how much I'm going to hate it, and then I'll quit. And when I went into this, I wasn't in it for the long haul. I wasn't in it for the black belt. I didn't want a black belt. (laughs) I didn't even want a yellow belt. I didn't even want the white belt, but the white belt came with the uniform, so I had to take it. (laughs) But I had no desire to climb up through the ranks, absolutely none. And even just for my first, for my yellow belt, Uh, one of the guys badgered me into testing and a lot of times you know I was the only woman in class most of the time so I was definitely outnumbered and definitely out of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. so he badgered me into testing for the yellow belt and finally just to shut him up I tested for my yellow belt three months later the same guy badgered me to test for my second degree yellow belt it's like my goodness why don't you just mind your own business and go away so I tested (laughs) for my second degree yellow belt And then about six months after that, I was ready to test for my next level and nobody had to badger me. Nobody had to talk me into it. It was my idea. Oh, okay. So if you, basically, if you didn't get badgered to try different belts, you have not necessarily been able to advance as quickly. It took a lot longer. Probably, because I, you know, there was no way I was going to do it. I mean, I even made that perfectly clear that I wasn't in this for the long run and I was never going to test. Um, yeah, so it would have taken me even longer than it actually did. So but once I got... Oh, go ahead. What's it about the belts that, like, just hooked you in the wrong way? <laughs> like, what did you have against the belts? 
I well, it wasn't necessarily <laughs> what I had against belts. It was basically what I had against doing martial arts in the first place because it just didn't seem to me to be something that I was really interested in. But even after my very first class, and I was terrified, let me just mm -hmm. make that point. For the first two years of going into the dojo, I would sit in my car and I would have to talk myself into getting out of my car and going into the dojo because I yeah. was terrified. You know, I was so far out of my comfort zone. But for some reason, there was something about being in class and even after the class was over, knowing that I survived to live another day, that when I was on my way home or going, you know, to work or, or the rest of my day, I just felt good. I felt good about myself. I felt um, empowered. I felt like I had just had a lot of fun, which I did most of the time. It was just a feeling that I got. So I think that if that one man had not badgered me twice into testing, mm -hmm. who knows? I might still be at the dojo as a white belt. I True. don't know. So, okay, how about this? So that man badgering you, did he see you worth or did he just was curious to see if you can pass? I think he was probably just bored um, of looking at me as a white belt. And, <laughs> and, I mean, white's not too shabby, but, you know, you shouldn't wear white after Labor Day. <laughs> exactly. And I didn't have that, you know, problem at all. I would wear it all year long. Oh, my God. it's... it's it's funny because he and I had gotten to be friends. He was um, a massage therapist, so I went to him a couple of times for massage. So we got to be pretty good buddies. Mm -hmm. And bless his heart, you know, he was a green belt at the time. So he was, you know, like four or five levels above me. And so he oftentimes had to work with me. He had to teach me how to roll. Shoot, even the was... bless your heart, Stephen. Oh, boy. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I know, and I'm not even from the South. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he had to teach me how to roll, and that must have been the ultimate challenge because I didn't roll. Even as a kid, you know, I mm -hmm. never did things like cartwheels, and, you know, I could do maybe a somersault, but I have a very strong sense of, um, what's the word, self-preservation. Ah, uh, yes. You would say, I'd rather not do that action so I don't bust my butt on the on the ground. Mm -hmm. I rather not yeah. fall down and be be embarrassed in front of everyone else because I can't do it yet. Well, they, and they didn't give me a choice because they were making me do it. <laughs> I love it. At that point, I had been, you know, a ballet dancer for over 27 years. So I had the kind of, you know, body and, and posture that could yeah. go backwards very straight but I couldn't fold myself into a ball to roll it was just so embarrassing and of course then you had to key eye when you're yeah. falling so you got your spirit yell and it was just so undignified and unladylike and I thought I can't do we that. We mean undignified and ladylike <laughs> you're literally going to a ball and rolling that's what do you mean that well, is that, like definition that, of what young kids like to do well not the, not when i was a kid i didn't it was oh, really boy. funny because i'm a i would learned how to ski you know i'm originally from pennsylvania mm -hmm. western pennsylvania and i learned how to ski when i was nine years old and i was a pretty good skier 
but I didn't fall. I hated to fall. In 50 years of skiing, I probably only fell a handful of times because I just hated to fall. And of course, you know, you never fall in ballet class. The only time I fell in ballet class was when I broke my foot. Yeah. So falling was, I just had an aversion to it. But now, I love being on the floor. I love rolling around the floor. And as somebody who is a mature woman, because I am maturing like all of us, so I'm getting, you know, mature. <laughs> and that's one of the things that helps keep us young and helps keep us flexible. Yeah. And a lot of people have a, a real aversion to even trying to get down on the floor. Yeah. Which, you know, I was one of those people. But here I am now, almost 20 years later, and I'm down on the floor every single day, and I'm rolling and falling in the dojo at least three days a week. True. And the, what was probably the hardest exercise in that dojo? Oh, boy. The list is long. Um, boy, the list is long. I would have to say pretty much everything. Nothing came naturally to me. And my, my sensei thought that as a dancer, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> And it's like, no, I'm not that kind of dancer. I'm a ballet dancer. Yeah. It's completely different. So ballet takes about, many years, many, many years to get the and, form, you know, the one you want. And the, I know a little bit about ballet. It takes mm -hmm. years to get the form you need to get to whatever level of performance. Exactly. It's rigorous. And, of, and you know, a lot of stress factors happen because of it. Exactly. And, you know, you do have, you have to have that nice long straight leg. You have to have those toes that are pointed. You have to stand very erect. And these are things that would actually just, you know, kill you in martial arts. And, yeah. you know, I had my center of gravity. I mean, I knew where my center was. But all the guys had to do was just walk past me. And, you know, the breeze from them walking past me would knock me over because I was so unstable because my center of gravity was so high. Mm. So they had they kept trying to teach me yeah. to lower my center of gravity, which I finally broke down after about two years of training. And I took some modern dance classes, which I had never done modern before. Mm -hmm. So that was another step of getting out of my comfort zone. But what I learned in modern class was really how to get low. So I was mm -hmm. able to take that concept into martial arts. And then the other advantage, too, yeah. was a lot of the women in class were much younger than me in the modern class. So I would teach them with oh, the cool. choreography that they were doing. It's like, look. This is a, a, it's a elbow strike. This is a great way of kicking somebody. This is, if you turn like this, you can turn that into a throw. And so that was really kind of fun for me. Oh, okay. Have you ever thought about doing a dance routine that also encopies uh, martial arts with it? Oh, no, I've never thought of that. No, I'm kidding. Of course I have. Um, I've thought of it many, 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 many times. I've never really done it, except um, I did start doing something a little unusual for you mm. know a person of my 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 age group. Um, when I was 58, I decided to start engaging in more age-appropriate activities, so I started pole dancing. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's the flexibility yeah. of pole dancing coming? 
it was actually um, one of my training partners. Um, her girlfriend was doing pole, and she thought that I should try it. And she just kept, again, badgering me and badgering me. And I says, you know what, Vanessa, you are so enthralled with like the physics behind it mm -hmm. why don't we take a beginning class together since we were training together at that point she was the only other female black belt that we've ever had at the school and you know the school's been open for almost 30 years but um you know she says yeah if it was just brute strength i would do it she says but there's way too much dancing involved and so i went by myself and it was like yeah she wouldn't that wasn't in her dna <laughs> she couldn't do the dancing but she would be able to do the inversions and stuff so okay. anyhow to make a long story short um several years ago it was about was three years ago two and a half years ago my pole teacher talked me into competing oh god you have no idea how terrifying that was. I mean, it's <laughs> terrifying. But I picked a song that was a song, kind of like an empowerment song. Okay. And in my routine, which, you know, I choreographed with her help, I had, you know, of course I had the pole moves in it, and I had a little bit of ballet moves in it, and I definitely had some martial arts moves in it. So it was really pretty cool. Oh, okay. So, so I guess the long answer to your question is yes. Interesting. So I didn't think that would be the medium that you practice martial arts and dancing. <laughs> I didn't really think that would be like your go-to. Yeah, I'm on the pole and I'm all flexible. martial arts changes you mm -hmm. in many many ways i think it makes your um it makes you more willing to try new things it makes you more willing to get out of gotcha, your comfort gotcha. zone which i can tell you getting on that stage and doing a pull routine in a competition <laughs> I, I, i'm not sure i'll ever do it again i'm pretty sure i never will <laughs> <laughs> but after that, you know, I, I was doing, it was about a week later, and I was doing a presentation. I was giving a speech mm -hmm. in front of a large, you know, group of people, and it was about martial arts and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And for once, I wasn't nervous at all. Before getting up in front of all those people to give this talk, it's like, I'm already put myself so far out of my comfort zone. This is a piece of cake. This oh, yeah. is nothing compared. The yeah, pole so, dancing uh, prepared you so much. Yes, it did. <laughs> and the martial arts training yep. actually prepared me for the pole and to do the pole, um, the competition. Oh, yeah. The way I look at it, basically, the pole is a medium that you can still practice the movements and the stances and the evasion techniques, but like you're on one central point. So yep. if you really think the invasion techniques as a way outside of the pole and the pole is the central point, basically you can use it in a way to go around and then like do moves that could potentially knock them off balance if you use the pole as your momentum. You are so smart. That's exactly right. And it's so funny. That's one of the things that my friend... Um, Vanessa is her name, would tell me because she would go and she would watch some of the classes, mm -hmm. you know, when her girlfriend was taking a class, and she would be all excited. She'd come back to the dojo the next day and say, Cheryl, they do everything <laughs> that we do. She says, it's the exact same moves, but 
they're doing them on a static pole. Yeah. We do it, you know, they do it on the static pole and they move. We do it to a moving body and the moving body moves. She says, it's just amazing. So she yeah. really, you know, tuned into that physics part right away. Oh, okay. But you know, the thing about the difference between being on the pole and being in the dojo and working with a partner is that your pole never, your pole doesn't have an ego. True. You have to be that ego. You have to keep the driving force on the pole. That's right. And the pole never has a bad day. The, the pole didn't have a fight <laughs> with his girlfriend last night or whatever. So, so it's just you and the pole. But when you're working with a partner, oh yeah, you know, there's two personalities, and and you have to. people that you work with the yeah. better you are as a martial artist true uh what's some of the culture of uh kimpo you want to people to know about you know i would have to say that probably the main one is that just pops into my head every time mm -hmm. i think about it is respect okay respect for the art respect for your teacher respect for the dojo respect for the you know your fellow students and respect for yourself okay so i think that that is really that's one of the most to me one of the most profound principles mm -hmm. as well as the fact that the ninja never places their sword yeah before their heart so the sword is the last thing that you draw and that just means that Fighting is the last resort. Oh, okay. And so there's a lot of other um, philosophies too, like, you know, the, the traits of the characters of the ninja, like commitment and effort and interest in everything in life. Um, and there's several more too that, you know, I could share if you're interested, but... Um, I'll share if you want. Well, the other one, there's one called the character of Nin. Oh. Which is the you know the, the character if you look yeah. at the shape of the, the Japanese character, um, it's actually the character for a sword and a heart. Oh. And basically, what Nin represents is um, patience and perseverance. Because in martial arts, as in anything in life, you've got to have both if you want to succeed. Yeah. So patience and perseverance. Patience and perseverance pays off, especially with hard work and a uh, little bit of waiting. You can see what it does, especially with you. You waited two years before you, you know, got what got in sync with the dojo and all that stuff. And the funny thing is, after I did get in sync with it, I started rising through the ranks a little bit faster. And it got to the point where I was even um, probably at the level of orange belt. Once I got my orange belt, mm -hmm. um, even new students that would come into the dojo would look up to me. And I would wonder why, it's like, <laughs> you know, why are you looking up to me? And, you know, and you probably know that um, in martial arts that the senior students or the upper mm -hmm. levels teach the lower levels. Yep. But even the upper levels are learning from the lower level students because we're learning and teaching each other. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was a big part of it. Starting to use my 
understanding of mm-hmm. movement and starting to, because, you know, I am a physical therapist, I am a dancer, I know how to dissect movement patterns. So once I embraced it and it was like, here I am, I'm obviously not quitting anytime soon. Yeah. Still not thinking I'm going to get a black belt. That was never the plan. Oh, yeah. But while I was there, I just, at that point, threw myself, body, mind, spirit, and soul into what I was doing. So what you have, because I'm looking at bamboo at the moment, funny enough. What's your opinion on a bamboo shoot that's like a extended pole as a weapon? That's really interesting. Um, that's so interesting because I studied ballet recently, mm-hmm. um, up until about a year ago, for five years with a woman who had a very extensive Tai Chi background. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you could imagine. It was, <laughs> she brought everything to, let's say, the bar, you know, the ballet bar. Yeah. So she brought all of her knowledge. She had an incredible amount of knowledge, but the, the Tai Chi part for me was so fascinating as a martial artist. And she used the bamboo sticks a lot. And it's like, okay, explain this bamboo stuff because I'm not sure. I mean, we weren't beating each other with bamboo yeah. sticks in ballet class, even though maybe we'd want to. Um, but the bamboo sticks, she says it's a living thing. So we had to find our own bamboo sticks. Like, you know, you went to, um, I went to um, a gardening store like up in Boulder, Colorado, which is about 30 minute drive from where I am in Denver and went looking. So you had to find the right size, the right shape. And I bought several of them. And then you had to decide which was going to be the one, the one bamboo stick that was going to be yours. And once you found the stick that, you know, really connected yeah. with you. And now keep in mind, I'm kind of rolling my eyes. as She's telling me, all of this stuff. Like, are you crazy? You know, what are you talking about? So once you picked out your stick and you knew which one it was, and then you had to take some rosemary oil. Oh. And you had to clean your stick with the rosemary oil because then that would clear anybody else's energy. It would block any negative energy. Again, I'm rolling my eyes, but I'm doing it anyhow because I figured she knows what she's talking about. And then we would use the stick in ways that, you, you know, we would like walk around class with the stick balanced on our heads. Mm-hmm. And then once we were able to do that, we would even, you know, do like our plies and our releves without moving the stick. Mm-hmm. And would even do like some little dance movements, still balancing the stick on the top of our heads. And it was really crazy how attached I got to this stick. Because... It was like the stick even knew when I was having a bad day and it would kind of turn and tilt and twirl and do some really crazy things. So you've got a bamboo stick. <laughs> wow. You got a, is that a long one? It's a pretty long one. It was just, it's not like what we say structured, but you can get the feel, the feel like bamboo is a really hard wood. So mm-hmm. once you have like a really settled wood, it's mm-hmm. actually a really great extension of a long weapon to your body. It's interesting that you say that because mm-hmm. 
sleep with your stick and stuff. And I'm going, oh, you know, between my husband <laughs> and three dogs, I'm not sure there's room for a stick in my bed. But I would, you know, put it under the bed, especially when my husband was out of town traveling. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I've got a weapon here. And I would always take it with me in the car. You know, it was always with me in the car. And anytime I was stressed or feeling a little bit anxious, I would just reach over and touch the, touch the stick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I've got this Zen moment. <laughs> and I remember talking to not my not my sensei sensei, but another one of yeah. the um, black belt instructors. And we were talking one day, and I mentioned bamboo sticks, you know, as weapons or whatever. And he went off on this tangent. Well, the bamboo is too soft. It is this and it's that. And he's going on. And I said, have you ever played with a bamboo stick or have you ever Mm -hmm. used it? And he said, well, no, because of the following, you know, the reasons that he, he told me, but I'm telling you, you know, looking at that stick in your hands, Mm -hmm. that thing's a weapon. Oh yeah. And the, the bamboo knows what to do. Yeah, I mean, even though it's not like culture like you buy from a store, it still does the job. It's dry rotted, so it has the hardness to it. It's not like fresh off the vine. Right, right. But yet, you know, according to my, my ballet teacher, she says, but it is still a living thing. Yeah. And she would even have um, us balance the stick, like, you know, stand in front of it and just put it, you know, in a vert- oh, what? vertical position. Yeah. And eventually, you know, as you're standing there, she says, the stick can feel your energy. Again, I'm going, you know, I'm not sure I buy this, but it eventually would. And here's the funny thing. You know, I stopped taking it with the pandemic hit, so we didn't have the classes. And then we did some online classes, and it just kind of wasn't the same. And so finally, you know, I stopped taking from her, and she moved away. Not that it would matter, because there is the internet. So I had my stick and I had it propped up on the wall and it was just propped up for about a year. So I hadn't even touched it for about a year. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I picked it up and I put it on my head and oh, it just fell all over the place. I mean, I, it was a disaster. And I thought, oh, this stick must miss me. So I took the bamboo stick and I put it right beside my desk. So now I am, you know, using it again, you know, just touching it and being one with the stick. And it's so funny because it's almost like I have a pet stick. (laughs) Yeah, instead of a walking stick, you have the bamboo stick. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so so if you're, you know, if you want to continue with this philosophy of what she taught me, you might want to get some uh, rosemary oil, some essential oil, and clean your bamboo stick. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, I probably need a better one. I'm just saying the bamboo stick here has just uh, been sitting out, so I don't know. It's not the best quality. Well, and you can see the ones, like, behind me yeah so i've got a couple of the bamboo sticks there but um but the one is across the room against the wall and you know it's really funny because we would um you know do certain exercises and patterns and someday you think about it this is a ballet class it's a no ballet class i've ever taken before has ever been like this but when somebody would like reach out and take someone else's stick our teacher would stop us and say no 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 that's Cheryl's stick. It's got her energy on it and her energy in it. And mm-hmm. I can, you know, at first it was like, you've got to be kidding me. 
it just goes to show you how martial arts does change your thinking and change you know the way you look at things yeah and uh what is one thing you take from Tim Tapo as a way to instruct yourself in life? Wow. You know, there's so many things. Again, I don't want to dodge the question, but there are so many things um, that I do use from it. Mm. I would have to say that the primary thing that comes into play most often is something that we call gamon. Mm -hmm. It's, <clears throat> pardon me. G-A-M-O-N, and basically it's, um, you know, they call it poker face, yeah. or you don't get rattled when things, you know, go sideways or don't go the way you want or whatever. I call it composure. Oh, okay. And it's grace under pressure because we always have those moments in life where we're in a situation that's like, okay, this is really awkward, I'm very uncomfortable, or somebody said something wrong, or things can go sideways really quickly, and just finding your center, finding your gaman, and pretending like nothing, you know, has, is amiss, nothing's wrong. Everything is as it should be. So I would have to say that that would be the number one thing that's really helped. Oh, okay. And what is one thing that keeps your composure alive? My incomparable stubbornness. Ah, yes. The fighter's attitude. The warrior code. Yeah. 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 There's something else. This is one of the, shh, don't tell anybody, but this is another one. <laughs> deep, dark, <laughs> the deep, dark secrets of the ninja. And it's something that my teacher, Mark, had, had taught me. And that has really, really helped a lot. Something called controlled rage. Mm -hmm. Because, and he, he you know, sat me down one time, he explained, he says, you know, your emotions will always, you'll always lose if your emotions take over. He says, you need to find a way to take that rage and control it and have it work for you rather than getting out of control and having it work against you. He says, you will lose every confrontation. So, you know, again, not using the word fight, because confrontations come in every form in yes. life, you know. You know, friends, family, life in general, mm -hmm. blah, 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 you know, health issues, finances, everything. He says, if you let your emotions take over, you will lose every time. He says, but if you use that control yep. rage. And so that was fascinating because I actually had to use it a couple of times with him. So, yeah, controlled rage. Oh, okay. Very valuable. One thing I take from controlled rage that you mentioned is like, for me, it's like there's no moment to worth being mad. Like, even if I'm mad, it quickly dissipates. I tell, you know, tell people, it's like, well, have a very optimistic view on life. If you're optimistic, then you tend to be less angry or less emotionally unstable. That's a really good point. Um, I have issues with anger, and I'll fully admit it. Uh, you know, I am Eastern European. My father was from Eastern yeah. Europe, so, you know, I hold a grudge. And I've had to really learn to let a lot of things go. Yeah. And I realized, I tell people, and I make a joke of it, it's like, you know, don't be angry, because that makes you bitter. Oh, yeah. And that's not good for your complexion. So, 
because your face will reveal. You can tell a bitter person just yeah. by looking at them. Oh yeah. And who who wants to be that? You can just tell that the uh, extra wrinkles in the forehead can be an indication yep. of bitterness. Because yep. typically with negative emotions, we use our face a lot more than you think. Because mm -hmm. nonverbal communication when you're mad helps a lot. And your face is one big indication of what you're feeling. Your face is an open book. Oh, yeah. Especially with me, my looks are all over the place. Yeah, I have a very expressive um, face and facial expressions as well. I remember one time my ballet master, who I studied with for a very long time, an elderly gentleman that I just loved and adored. One time, um, you know, I was talking about something I had to do, and I didn't want to do it. And you know, I had to be in somebody's wedding and as a bridesmaid, and I was 44 years old, and it's like mm -hmm. a 44 year old bridesmaid, really. Well, how about being a? How about being instead of a bridesmaid, being a bridesman? <laughs> That's similar. Yeah, that, that too. So my ballet master told me, he said, Cheryl, just walk down the aisle looking theatrically serene. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, Mr. Boyette, my face is an open book. And he actually snickered and said, yes, I know. And I thought, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I guess you've been reading my facial expressions for years. <laughs> you would know. Oh, my gosh. I know, it's funny. So, you said, let's go back to that smile as a weapon statement. What is a time that you just gave the biggest glare and that it just made people back away from you? I'd have to say I'm pretty good at it. Um, and I use it a lot. Mm -hmm. But the time that is most memorable, and it's even on tape. <laughs> oh, gosh. What I was I was testing for my Randori test. So it's they call it in our our school they call it the Oreo belt because it looks like an Oreo cookie. It's your introductory black belt level. So it's a black belt. Oh no, this was coming out of Oreo. So it was your first solid black belt level yeah. is the Randori test, which is just nothing but a series of random attacks and you have no idea what's coming at you. Mm -hmm. So there's like five or six people who are going to be your attackers and they take turns attacking you and you know you start with one attacker and then you have to defend yourself against two and then against three i mean it's really pretty anxiety provoking oh god but uh, yeah oh tell me about it and this was still we were just one one person attacking me at, at, at the time and this one guy in the dojo he's six foot two and he was young he was probably 25 at the time so he's six foot two and he had a stick he had a hanbo and he was coming at me with a stick and he was coming really fast full force and i just gave him the look and he actually stopped from the look i mean he was coming at me full force and you can see he just stopped and hesitated for just a, like a a second and then he came at me with the stick and I reacted and, you know, I gave a response. Mm -hmm. He actually flew across the mat. He flew across the length of the dojo. His glasses went flying across the floor. And I ended up holding the stick at his throat. And that was a fun moment. And oh, my gosh. Not yeah. only did you make him hesitate for a second, but you literally beat him. <laughs> 
<laughs> the stick with the throat. Oh my gosh. It's like yeah. the glare was like predicting what you're going to do before you even did it. And thank you for saying that because I never thought of it that way. But, you know, we always talk about in our art yep. that, you know, the intention. Oh, yeah. And looking at somebody's eyes to see what their intention is towards you and vice versa, it's very powerful. Oh, yeah. And, like, something masters of, like, of the sword, for example. Um, some people just got a, a very intimidating posture or presence about them. And sometimes you can tell that when someone's very skilled, you can actually tell that they're more skilled than you, in a way. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. can just tell by oh, the stances and how they conduct themselves. You know, it, it's more than just face. It's more like what they're looking like. What is their predicting patterns, all of that. I think what we call it in ours is dichomio. Mm-hmm. It's a Japanese word, daikomio, and I have no idea what the literal translation yeah. is. I think I've heard but, daikomio. Um, yeah, it's it's like an aura. Yeah. It's like that, you know, your your presence, your mm -hmm. aura, your your spirit, that, and that people can sense your spirit, and that's why, you know, yeah. when you, you asked me if I've ever used, you know, had to use Nimpo in the real world or whatever, yeah, I use it every day because. Especially in a crowded grocery store, you just put that little, you know, that warrior spirit around you and you oh just move gosh. with confidence. And if it's a crowded aisle, everybody just gets out of your way and they smile at you too at the same time because it's not like you're intimidating, but it's just this air of confidence and um, serenity almost. True. I mean, if you want, it's like, get out of my way. I'm the, I'm the queen bee with the cart here. Yeah, yeah, and that's what a lot of the other people do. And it's like, oh, no, no, don't you use that word queen with me. I am the queen of the universe. Well, some people are like, oh, no, that's not the version I want to be. I want to be a confident person. That's right, exactly. Oh, exactly. my gosh. So, and it's funny because, you know, confidence isn't something that you put on and take off. And I, I kind of get annoyed. I know there's there's a, a couple of, um, you know, life coaches yeah. um, in the area. And they're, they're confidence coaches. They teach women how to be confident. And it's like, you know, you stand with your hands on your hips or you do this. And it's like that's not embodied confidence. That's kind of a little um, superficial. And it's not mm -hmm. going to... It's not going to carry you through the hard times when you really are in a stressful situation. True. And also, you know, it's the, like, ability to deliver confidence even when you're not as confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, how about this? Uh, it's okay to be f afraid. That's what that makes you different from everyone else. You're aware of what you're doing and you should be afraid because what you what you could be doing is take someone's life. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and fear is a really healthy, healthy emotion and fear is, there's a reason why we have fear. Oh yeah, if you're not, if you're not afraid to go on the battlefield, you're not confident because if you have fear, you're better than the one that's cocky. Yeah, yeah. And there's actually a book that um, came out quite a few mm. years ago. Um, it's called The Gift of Fear. Oh, yeah, okay. 
And so that's how to use your fear to keep your you safe. Whereas, you know, a lot of times, you know, you can have two different ways of like either, well, not feeling any fear at all. And that's, that's kind of crazy. You know, any normal person feels fear or to be locked in fear patterns. Like, you know, with this past two years with COVID, yeah. everybody was kind of locked in this pattern of fear and that's not healthy, but to recognize that the fear is telling you something that, you know, you're not safe, that you need to take action. You need to do something to protect yourself or, you know, your loved ones or whomever. Um, then it's, it's a good thing. And, and, but we just don't want to live yeah. in fear. We want to be able to listen to that sound that says mm, something's not right here. Yeah. So what is that signature stance in Kempo that is like the basic of most of the forms? Uh, the, you're t I think what you're talking about the katata ichimonji no kamai is what we call it. That's our working stance, and that's it's very exaggerated where mm -hmm. you you're you know back leaning with more weight on your back leg and the right or the front leg is extended, and this is the part that I love. And then you have one hand kind of hovering over mm -hmm. your heart and the other one extended toward your opponent's heart. Well, that's our starting position. But okay. in reality, in real life, it would be kind of like a forward stance of one leg and your hands up moving and talking. However, we always start from that exaggerated position. Mm -hmm. And this is what I love that when you're standing in that position and you've got your one hand hovering over your heart, that is to protect your heart. And the other hand is pointing towards your opponent's heart as if to attack his heart. And it took me a few years to realize this just came in. It was just this incredible, you know, mental head smacking moment or maybe this epiphany that mm -hmm. I had. It's that, you know what, when you can protect your heart, and you know you have that capability to protect your heart, you can give it more freely. Oh, okay. And so that was in kind of like a major life change that it's like, yeah, yeah I can protect it. And not only that, I could attack somebody else's if I wanted to or True. if I had to. So, so that was another lovely, yeah. lovely philosophy. So what is like some of the Kimpo's uh, statuses of protecting face? Positive face, neutral face, and negative face. You know, we really don't talk about that. Mm. What we mostly talk about, and this is another, this was a philosophy that was hard for me to embrace. Yeah. That a ninja never um, holds a grudge. I think it's gotcha. a ninja never holds a grudge when humiliated or denounced. Oh, okay. And I think that we introduced this probably like at the fourth or fifth belt level. I think it's the fourth belt level. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the guys I was training with that I got to be pretty, you know, good friends with. And when they were talking about that, and he looked at me and he <laughs> went, yeah, I got a really hard time with that one. <laughs> I said, yeah, me too. It's something to work on. And he says, I don't think so. I'm just going to keep it. <laughs> True. So... What is one thing you want to reinforce to the audience about Kempo in general and also martial arts as a whole? I would say that people, when they typically when they hear the word martial arts or the word martial arts, they typically think of fighting, combat, warfare, aggression, and that really isn't it. 
in martial arts, and I've talked to a lot of different martial artists yeah. in different, um, you know, different, uh, different art forms. It's more about it's a the discipline confidence. of mindfulness. Yes, definitely mindset, mindfulness, awareness, being aware not only of yourself and your situation internally and external environment, everybody around you, and it's just having that sense of control over yourself, over your body, and it's also about lifelong learning. Oh, okay. And uh, before we wrap up the particular episode today, what is one thing you want to tell the audience about you or anything else that we've talked about? If you're thinking about maybe trying some martial arts, and if you think that, you know, it's not for you because you're either too old, too small, not fit enough, you know, whatever it is, mm -hmm. just step on the mat. Give it a try. Martial arts has been such a life-altering altering, um, activity for me that it's yeah. not even an activity. It is a lifestyle. And you might really surprise yourself how much it oh, can okay. enrich your life in every aspect of it. And don't forget, uh, when you practice martial arts, it's not about fighting. It's more about preventing self-discipline and protecting oneself. Mm -hmm. And even if some of those are not applicable, it's still a the philosophy, like how religion and other things is important as a background. Martial arts itself is a background in itself, in a nutshell. Absolutely. And uh, before we leave, um, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can go to Facebook. Just go to Cheryl I Love International. And I also have a podcast called uh, The Femininja, The Femininja Project. So I've got a page for that. It's not about fighting mm -hmm. and martial arts and warfare. It's um, not for women only. It's for men and women. Gotcha. And it's just about overcoming obstacles and... Um, Finding your ground, standing your voice, uh, human dignity, personal empowerment. So I've got stories like that on the podcast. Gotcha. Um, you can go to LinkedIn again. Just Cheryl I Love. If you aren't, if you can't find me, you're not looking because I'm pretty much everywhere. Yeah. I also have two books. Um, my first book is Forever Fit and Flexible: Feeling Fabulous at Fifty and Beyond, and it includes um, the principles of martial arts, dance. Pilates and a few mm -hmm. other things to help keep you flexible forever and fit. And the most recent one just was released last week. And that book is called The Reluctant Ninja, How a Middle-Aged Princess Became a Warrior Queen. And both of those are on Amazon. So you can just go to Amazon and look those up. All right, guys. This wraps up the current episode. Uh, thank you for Miss uh, Malav here. And her expertise in typo. Hope it's uh, a beginning good experience for everyone and as enriching as I had with the conversation as well. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. And don't forget to support M uh, MC Anime on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Amazon, and Spotify. And if you want to be a crowd funding, 
Patreon, blog, MC Anime. That's where you can find me. Thank you guys. Enjoy.